Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back. Buckeye Talk. It's Doug Marie, Nathan Baird, and Stephen Means. And we're doing, uh, I don't want to say mini rapid fire. This would be like a normal rapid fire for most podcasts. Usually when we do rapid fire, I try to grab 20 questions. This time I grabbed nine. So it'll be more like uh, an hour, a little less than an hour, rather than two hours. But we have a lot of stuff to get to. When we originally thought about this, we thought, hey, we'll cover some football stuff and maybe we'll, you know, get some stray uh, realignment questions that people had. There's just still stuff happening. And I, I mean, I think maybe people need a break. So we're not doing realignment. This is Ohio state football questions. As we record this at 1230 on Tuesday afternoon, there are reports coming out that the big 12 might be trying six pack 12. I mean, there's just a lot of stuff moving around. Um, so we're not going to talk about that for now. We're going to talk about football, and we're going to start, guys, with number one, which is a Jim Knowles question that I think is pretty interesting. Uh, it is from the 336. Assuming Jim Knowles is a good or great defensive coordinator, how long will he stay at Ohio State? Is this a guy that wants a head coaching job, or does he want to retire as a potentially championship-winning defensive coordinator at Ohio State? Nathan, what's your view on this? I think this is maybe his last job just from the read that I have so far. He was a head coach at one point at his alma mater at Cornell. It wasn't a especially successful stint. And he's now um, at, at the top of the defensive coordinator game. And um, I, I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to see as we get to know him more, if we see him as a um a, a, a guy who can and should transition to a head coach or whether or not he, you know, does this for a decade or whatever and goes out as a, a, one of those just, you know, difference making coordinators at, at, at a major program. What do you think, Steven? Yeah, I think this is it. I think there is some, a chance for him to be Ohio state's version of Brent Venables, the way that maybe Ryan Day thought Kerry Combs would be, except He's also already been the head coach at his alma mater. So you don't have to worry about, well, what if the alma mater comes calling? Cause he's already done that at Cornell and it doesn't, it seems like he tried the head coaching thing out. It went okay, but not in a way that maybe he wants to scratch that itch again. So I think he just might be here until he's done, you know, coaching. It'd be funny. Like if 
if Jim Knowles had coached at Colgate instead of Cornell, and then it was like, oh, what if the alma mater comes calling someday <laughs> and he's never been able to scratch that itch? Could Cornell pry away Ohio State's defensive coordinator? Listen, it's one of those things. Get back to us when Illinois offers Jim Knowles like $8 million a year to be the head coach. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's like, well, you know, the best laid plans. And then someone throws $8 million at you. He's 57 years old. And I think I agree the perception standpoint. When he first got hired, there was somebody I talked to who knew him and who was like, he just wants to find a cigar place and a sushi place and he's fine. And then he can just coach football. And he has been, I think, I think maybe we didn't know what he'd be like in recruiting. It feels like he's gotten after it in recruiting a little bit with some of the linebackers he's after Tackett Curtis, especially who's down to a final three and Ohio state's in it. Um, we haven't seen him get to, you know, design all the stuff yet, but it feels like he thought the installation in the spring, maybe went even a more, a little more quickly than he thought. One of those things again, 57, plenty of time to do things in your life when you're 57. But, you know, by the time he would maybe be established enough here to really get people's interests, he'd be in his 60s. It does feel like that, that maybe this is, for lack of a, like maybe Nathan, like this is Ryan Day's defensive coordinator. So as long as Ryan Day stays like this is his guy and the, and the way that I don't know if deferential is the right word, but that Ryan Day, the things he talked about, head coach, the defense and all those things. I'm really intrigued to see what this working relationship is like. But I think Ryan Day sort of envisions this. And I do think, listen, it doesn't mean you don't hire a 35 year old who's an up and comer. Urban Meyer hired Chris Ash. Chris Ash came here knowing he wanted to be a head coach. And what did Ohio State get out of Chris Ash? A national championship. Chris Ash helped them win a title. That was a, it was a symbiotic relationship. It worked for Chris Ash. It worked for Ohio State. That was perfect. Jeff Halfley, Ryan Day's buddy, came. What did he do? He helped Ohio State make the playoff in Ryan Day's first year. He was excellent, right? But I don't want to say Nathan that I don't think Ryan Day, I don't think burned by Jeff Halfley is the right word, right? But Ryan Day lived through, hey, I'm a I'm a guy on the rise. I'm a, you know, you hire a guy on the rise, and no matter how good he is, you might have to be going to get somebody else in four years. When Ryan Day picked Jim Knowles, I think he picked Jim Knowles with this in mind. Now, it doesn't mean you hire somebody who's underqualified or not the best man for the job just because you think he won't leave. Uh, I think it's a little bonus when Ryan Day made this choice. He clearly made this choice thinking he was getting someone who will be here for the long term. I, I would imagine that part of the vetting process was to have conversation like what you were talking about before with the people around Jim Knowles as to is this someone who I do think is going to jump two or three years. Now, you're right. If someone comes and just offers them an insane amount of money that changes the the dynamic. But yeah, every every vibe that we get, and I would even maybe go farther. I think if, yes, Ryan Day's defensive coordinator, but it's also, if he comes here and has the kind of success that he could have, if Ryan Day were to leave, he seems like the kind of guy that you would want to keep on staff as that transition was being made, just as, you know, Larry Johnson or or someone before him would have been in their role. I think what great coaches want to be is empowered. And Ryan Day really empowered Jim Knowles from the jump. He allowed him, I think, to have a lot of 
input in assembling his defensive staff. I think Ryan Day put it together, but Jim Knowles had input. And the way he talked about Jim Knowles, he gave Jim Knowles like a lot of credit before anything has even happened. So I, I think it's almost a, a spot, Nate, uh, Stephen, where Jim Knowles is, has as much power and influence an opportunity to succeed and also get the credit and the money for the success. He's almost maxing out what you could do without being a head coach. Mm -hmm. So how, and, and he's actually probably getting more money and more credit and more opportunity to succeed than head coaches everywhere, except maybe 20 places, right? It's like who has more power and influence right now? um, PJ Fleck or Jim Knowles. Right. Like, and when it tells now, PJ Fleck has more money because the head coaches make more than two million. But anyway, I just think that power, the empowerment there seems to matter a lot because sometimes it's frustrating when you don't get credit for the good stuff you do. And then you got to go be your own boss so you can get that credit. He's in a position of, I can get a lot of credit and not nearly as much blame as you would get if you're actually the guy sitting in the chair. Which, to, so when you say, what if Illinois comes, throws X amount of money at him? I, the reason I brought up Brent Venables is, well, there have probably been Illinois-level programs who have came and thrown money at Brent Venables over the last decade, but he didn't have to take any of those because what's a better position for you, one, from a financial standpoint, but also just like a stress-level standpoint, come just be like the head coach of the defense and go to the playoff every year where nobody really blames you when things go wrong. They still blame Dabo first or go somewhere where you are the head coach where you're going, you know, eight and four at best, and you're probably getting fired in four years because you couldn't get it together. I think this is just a, for, even if he is a younger coach, this is still a better position overall for him. By the way, if the defense is not good this year, Jim Knowles is going to get blamed though. This is yeah. Yeah, I know, but also we're going to go, well, Ryan days now made back-to-back. That's terrible. Defensive coordinator hires. That's true. All right. This is somewhat related. Question number two from the three, one, seven, what's more likely Jim Knowles, has had not enough time to make this Buckeye team a top 20 or 25 defense or day and CJ Stroud and everyone else are so good in 2022 that it doesn't matter. So what's more likely, I guess that's what's more likely that it's bad or is it more likely that the offense is so good, Nathan, we don't even notice, right? I mean, I guess them probably if we did a chart of what's the most likely scenario, right? Good offense, good defense, good offense, bad defense, not good enough offense, bad defense, right? I think probably both good would probably win that people would say, well, we know the offense is going to be great. And we think the defense is going to be improved enough that that's the more likely thing. What's so we're taking that out of the equation. What's more likely of the other two that like, hey, man, like Knowles didn't have time to get it done. This is like a reset year. Or even if that happens, nobody notices because CJ Stroud's throwing eight touchdown passes a game. Yeah, I think that's more likely. Now, whether that means a successful season, I don't know, because in a lot of ways, that's what happened last year, and it still wasn't good enough. Like, the defense clearly underwhelmed in significant ways last year, and I know that the offense had some some rough edges that cost it at, at certain times, but the um, it was it was still an, a, a prolific offense that carried it through a lot of games. So I think that is still more likely. I think a, at worst, you're probably getting a better version of 2021, right? Is that, is that the best way to say that? 
a better version, uh, you know, even if it's the offense will be ahead of the defense, but maybe not to the same degree. And that's both because maybe the offense, because it doesn't have two first round receivers and there's some changes on the offensive line, whatever, but also the defense is better. What do you think, Steven? Um, yeah, the most likely option is they're both good, but also if, if it were going to be last year, then well, the, it did matter. It, it, we, we were saying, oh, the defense sucks, but it doesn't matter because offense is, is so good until it did matter. And it's why they had two lo- losses during the regular season. So I don't I don't even know if, if that would be OK if they lived in a world where the offense is just like crazy, crazy, almost historically good while the defense is bad, because eventually you're going to play a team where it does matter. And this is a tougher schedule than last year. So it's going to matter a lot more often. Yeah. So I do think it's probably it's maybe more likely that the defense is not quite good enough is what we feel rather than like the offense just makes up for it. Because whenever we talk about that, we mean it at the highest level. We don't mean it really against Indiana. We mean it against Notre Dame and against Wisconsin and against Iowa and against Michigan State and against Michigan and against, you know, in the Big Ten championship game and in the playoff if they get that far. I don't know. I'm so we're going to start getting out of some market down Mondays and I'm excited to get down to some, um, you know, I'm sure some of that'll be over unders. And we have a question that I, that I held about how many times a game do you think they'll run the ball and that kind of thing. Listen, this offense is going to be really good. CJ is going to be, you know, even better. I, I, I don't know if against the best teams, which is those are the only games that matter that the offense will be so good that it doesn't matter what the defense does. I, I think my, my slightly more likely answer would be, hmm, they, they don't quite have it yet. The players don't quite get what Knowles wants from them. He's moving Jack Sawyer around, and it's kind of weird, and it's not really working yet. The linebackers still aren't good enough. It's a safety-driven defense, but are these exactly the kind of safeties that he really wants? And, oh, they got – they got hit over the top a couple times when it really mattered because, you know, Graham Mertz came to play and the safeties didn't communicate the right way and they couldn't. I think that still probably is slightly more likely than just the offense just scores 60 points a game and just they beat everybody 51-50 like, like Maryland in 2018, you know, that, that, I, that I think it's more likely that if the defense isn't good enough, it matters. That's sort of what the question is, right, Nathan? And actually, when I like picked yeah. this question, I actually I think misinterpreted the question because it was sort of like what because, but like it's almost like if the defense isn't good enough, will it matter? What's more likely that it matters or that it doesn't matter? And again, when we say that it matters, it means does it does it hold them back from their ultimate goal? Does it cost them the game they can't afford to lose? And I think, yes, that is more likely that if the defense is not going to be better, I think we will notice. I think it'll bite them somewhere along the line where where it keeps them from what they want to be, even yeah. if it's only against Alabama in the national championship game. And it's an astute observation from Steven that it is a tougher schedule. I think there are more maybe landmines waiting for them than we thought there were going into last year, um, although they got caught by one early on with, with Oregon. And uh, I guess the way that I was when I was answering that question, I don't know that I was thinking of it quite in the terms that you are about. Every game will be a shootout. 
because that wasn't the case last year necessarily that every game is a shootout, but you're right. The, the, the problems with the defense were always kind of lying in wait for a game that the offense couldn't overcome that. That if there was one, if yeah. there was any game where the offense just wasn't quite there, for instance, Michigan, especially, I guess, and, and Oregon to, uh, to another degree that the defense wasn't going to be able to save it. And that I think is still at this point, I don't, I don't, I think you're being unrealistic. If you think that there's, there's zero chance that that still exists for this Ohio state team. Like I'm just trying to think, and again, we're going through the game by game breakdowns on the pod. And also I need to catch up on the site with those, but like, I'm just trying to think like, you know, you get to the big 10 opener against Wisconsin and here comes Braylon Allen and, the Viper Leo is standing up and supposed to be here, but he's not in the right spot. And then the linebacker is supposed to come down and fill this gap and he gets blocked and it's a safety driven defense and they're supposed to be this, but they're a little bit misaligned and there's a 76 yard touchdown run from Braylon Allen. And does it matter or not? Because does CJ Stroud come out and lead eight straight touchdown drives against a pretty good Wisconsin defense? It, it, it's certainly possible that it doesn't matter, right? That we said that a lot. Like, like it does, Nate, Steven, it didn't matter. I guess a lot of teams, it just mm-hmm. didn't matter. But if I'm betting because of the better schedule and, and some of those things, I just, I would slightly lean toward, yeah, I think it could matter. And I don't think it's impossible, Steven, the idea of like, there's just a little bit as guys get, because I think there's the scheme of the defense, but it's also like the feel of the defense, right? And what you're supposed to just understanding the instincts of it, that maybe if guys are just sort of moving around in a different way a little bit, listen, it's not going to be that different. They played multiple safeties last year too, that maybe it just takes a little time. Anyway, all right. That's where it's kind of amorphous. Let's, let's get down to a little more um, specific thing. Steven, I'll start with you. From the 4-4-0, what is more important for the offense? Balance in run pass yardage or having a legit second pass catcher emerge. I would consider a legit second option, someone with 50 plus catches. So we know Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to be great. What's more important? Second pass catcher, just because of how this offense plays. Um, I was one of the people who was, I mean, I was asking Dan about the balance and why aren't you running the ball more and, you know, CJ throwing it 42 times, but then you go back and rewatch games and you see the amount of RPOs where, the defense basically dictates that CJ should pull it and throw it, that you can't put too much emphasis on that type of stuff when it, when that's the case, when it's like he threw 40 times, but 20 of them were RPOs because he had to pull it. I think it's important that it can't just be the Jackson Smith, the Jigba show as important, as cool as it was what Jackson Smith, the Jigba did in the Rose bowl, Marvin Harrison jr. Also had three touchdown pass catches. Ameka Buka made some plays in that game. Julian Fleming had a couple of moments as well. So that's, they had the best passing offense in the country last year because they had three receivers who all basically would have had a thousand yards had Chris Olave not sat out the last game of the season. You can't go from that world to Jackson Smith, the Jigba is the only consistent weapon. What do you think, Nathan? Yeah, it's interesting. Cause I was just thinking as it was, we're having that other discussion, how important it's going to be for them actually to, to run the ball this year, especially in games like that. I think that takes as much pressure off your defense as anything um and 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 i was also looking back at last year's uh market down mondays and i had just gone back through our uh discussion about the receiving yards where man uh we said some things last year (laughs) we're we're gonna we're gonna have fun i think revisiting some of the things some of the exact quotes that we said 
in, Buckeye in talk that, in that episode. Of Buckeye we talk. said some things. I'm. It's it's going to be really. This is always a fun time of the year. There's so much anticipation when there is this kind of changeover. And I, 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 what was, I guess, tell me again, what was the exact text of the question? I'm straying from the point here. The exact text of the question was what's more important balance between run pass yardage or having a legit second pass catcher who has like at least 50 catches. I, if in this case, I think it might be balanced because we're talking about the the, for, for Ohio State, it's almost not just a balance of usage. It's a balance of effectiveness. And I think what cost them in games last year was not effect, was not an imbalance of how much they ran the ball. It was an imbalance of how well they ran the ball compared to what they were almost always able to do, it seemed like, from a passing standpoint. But there were times when, when they had to get yards on the ground, they couldn't do it. Crucial spots against good defenses. They've got to fix that in 2022. I think those to go back to the point you were making before, Doug, those are the instances that cost you the close games. It's not going to hurt you necessarily. You can still go on the road at Nebraska, have not even that great of a game, find a way to win that game. But in against Oregon, against Michigan, those are the things that cost you a game. I'm trying to think, is it possible, Stephen, that we get a, receptions breakdown that something like Jackson Smith and Jigba has 117 catches and the next leading receiver has 41 or 36 receiver has has 35 and the fourth leading receiver has 31 that that it's sort of like if Jackson Smith and Jigba isn't triple covered CJ's throwing to him and he's catching it and then everybody else is just there as a clear alternative. I think that could work, but if you tell me, and again, it's not as much about run pass yardage as it is about run pass threat. If opposing defenses think Ohio state can't run it, like they can't run it on short yardage. Like when it gets down to the red zone, like we just, they can't run it. The only way they move the ball is to throw. I do think that's more of a problem. So I think I would go, I guess it depends what your definition of balance is. I think our definition of balance has evolved to, it's not necessarily run past yardage, it's run past threat, it's run run past how you present it to the defense. So maybe we'd have to like tweak the question a little bit to give that answer. But I don't think it's impossible for Jackson Smith and Jigba to have two and a half times the number of receptions as anybody else on the team. And for this to still be a functioning offense, as long as when it gets to third and two, you don't have to throw it to Jackson Smith and Jigba. You also could run it there if you wanted to. You know what I mean? Yeah, I get what you're saying. And I'm going to be semantic because I have to, because what we're asking here is can Ohio state just treat this like Jackson Smith and Jigba is their Devonte Smith and everybody else just gets filled in, especially once um, um, whatchamacallit went down with the injury. Um, Waddle Jaylen went down Waddle. with an injury. Yeah. Yeah, Jalen Waddle went down with an injury. So that breakdown is Devontae Smith had 117 catches for 1,800 yards and 23 touchdowns. Okay, sure. The question was, should the next guy have at least 50 catches? Yes, John Messi had 55 catches for 916 yards and six touchdowns. And the year before that with LSU, it's like Justin Jefferson, who was their slot guy, had 111 catches, and then Jamar Chase had 84, and then Clyde oh, Edwards-Lowe has 
55. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. I know. There's no point. But what I'm, what I'm saying is like, it, yeah, what I'm saying, okay, then take Jamar Chase out. And then there's even Clyde Edwards Alaire had 55 and Thaddeus Moss had 47. What I'm saying is, yes, your number one guy can go crazy with the catches and there can be a significant gap, but that doesn't mean the other guy should not be involved to a certain extent. And so maybe right. let's throw LSU out of this, but Alabama is probably the perfect example then. Yes, you got the guy that you run all types of creative and crazy plays for, but Mechie was still a borderline, you know, thousand yard receiver as well. Yeah. I guess yeah, the, no, the way I hear the way I hear the question though is like, do you need a a definite number two that separates almost from number three? Right. That's kind of what I hear from that question. They need a second guy to step up and be a, a almost signature receiver, even if it's a tier below Smith and Jigba. And I think I regardless of what the numbers are, I definitely see a scenario like what you're talking about, Doug, where it is CJ Stroud picking which of among three guys or which of among three matchups is the one that absolutely like eviscerates whoever they're playing that week. Yeah, I think they need. Jackson to be Jackson, and then they need a second guy. And then Najee Harris was third for Alabama that year, and then they just need Travion to continue to be the threat in the passing game that he is. It's one of those things, and it's what would it, what would it mean if a second, and the texture used the word legit in quotes, option doesn't emerge? Would that mean that every receiver on the team besides Jackson, Smith, and Jigba like, isn't running crisp routes? isn't getting open is dropping passes when they're thrown their way. Like if that happens, then that that's a problem. Like we're trying to make someone like a second option and nobody can do it. If it's, Hey, like Jackson is unbelievable. Jackson Smith and Jigba is the best receiver. You know, one of the 10 best receivers in history, of college football and everybody else is good. It's fine. But we kind of just spread it around again. And what, it, what, if they don't have a second option, is it because it's from strength or weakness? If it's, well, because we have a lot of other guys who are good, then I think it's okay. If it's like, well, we tried to throw the ball to someone besides JSN and they constantly dropped it, then that would be an issue. Because it is, it's like on third and, if you think, okay, well, we're going to, number one is throw it to JSN. And if number two is like, we don't, we don't trust anybody else to catch it. That's a problem. But also if you have, well, we could throw it to a couple other people, but like we literally cannot run it because we have no chance to pick up it, the, the ball on, to pick it up a first down on third and four on the ground because our run game is terrible. I think that's worse. I think, I think that's sure. worse. The threat of that is worse. So again, it's, it's part of it's semantics and we're only going to have discussions like this for the next five months. If, if that's the definition of legitimate though, don't we think Ohio state already has like, four legitimate second receivers. I mean, I almost think, yeah, they, they would almost yeah. have to regress from their yeah. current. It's like, is Marvin Harrison oh. Jr. legitimate? I mean, he had three touchdown catches in Rose Bowl. Like, yeah, yeah like yeah. he hasn't played much, but like, I, I already think we already think he's legit, you know? So it's not like they're looking for, oh, somebody's got to emerge. We don't know. We have this big lump of guys. We don't know who's, we have no idea if anybody else can do it. They, they think everybody can do it. So it would be a surprise if it didn't happen. Yeah. I think all all of those guys you just mentioned are as, as established as legitimate as much or more than Jackson Smith and Jigba was going into last year. No, I think that's fair. Jackson Smith and Jigba had the toe tap. He didn't have three touchdowns in the bowl game. So, all right, quick break. We'll be back with more rapid fire questions next on Buckeye talk. 
All right, let's get into a little bit of recruiting from the 415. This continues the 2023 uh, quarterback question, Stephen. Do you think someone like Austin Novosad or Brock Glenn would pick Ohio State because they figure they aren't playing year one anyway at whatever school they go to, so why not go to a quarterback room that's both stacked and super well coached? Wait a year or two, get top-level coaching, training, body transformation, everything, then transfer to a place with an opening. Um, do you think Day and company are like trying to lean into that and use that as a recruiting We've had discussions like this, Stephen. It continues to sort of be a waiting game with the offers that Ohio State has put out there in 2023. But is is this the pitch? And do you think it could and should and would and will be successful with somebody that Ohio State is trying to get? That was a lot of W's. What was it? It was a C. C. S. A. Do you guys do Wordle? Do you guys do Wordle? Of course. We've talked about Wordle on here before. I'm getting worse at it, and it makes me angry. Okay, talk. <laughs> Go ahead, Steven. Um, is it the pitch? Yes, it is the pitch. Would that be the reason either of those two came here if they decide to come here? Yes, that would be the reason, whether it means that in two years they're the starter here or they're the starter somewhere else. Mac Jones, Joe Burrow. Is it going to be one of those two? We did a pod last week where I predicted the class. I don't think it's going to be one of those two. And part of the reason why is I think the, that Austin Novosad was better positioned to make that decision. And then he got the Texas A&M offer, which I also have said in text that that makes things interesting if he ever gets that that offer. And he got it two weekends ago. Uh, so I, I'm not sold that either one of these two guys will be the guy who fills that role. But yes, whatever quarterback takes the 2023 position if they get one is taking it with the understanding that they're not they're here to develop they're not here to be on the same path that cj stroud and kyle mccord and devin brown are where let's get on the field as quickly as possible and i know that we sometimes look at these things through a, a such a pro ohio state lens and like oh well, why wouldn't you just come to ohio state and get you know coached up and that's probably maybe a little bit too simplistic but I think it might be a shrewd move if you're recruiting target at a certain range, because um, what is Ryan Day's like biggest fear? And that was kind of propelling the way that they were recruiting the quarterback room for a while. Is like, well, what if I'm wrong? Like, what if something goes wrong and a guy doesn't pan out for guys who are maybe getting in that next tier down? Um, they get it, it kind of opens up more potential landing spots for them two years down the line. You get to maybe pick your spot of the place that didn't work out. You see some place, you know, Clemson, uh, now maybe they have questions about DJ and they're looking for somebody to come in and, and compete for a starting job as opposed to being the clear backup, that sort of thing. I mean, you, you, if, if you're one of these guys, you might have more intriguing options two years from now than you do in your current class cycle. I do wonder um, how NIL factors into that, because if you're the number one quarterback target for a school, you're probably going to get some NIL juice in recruiting. I don't know. I don't know what one of these guys would get from an NIL standpoint. It's like, who wants to have a, a endorsement relationship with Ohio state's third string quarterback who will probably never start here. Right. And if that, if that, because the immediacy of, a, a lot of guys don't go play right away at quarterback. More and more are, but a lot still don't. But if you're brought the perception of being the number one quarterback in a class, I think does matter in NIL, where, you know, 
even if you're planning to sit, you might get some juice off of that. So I think this is Stephen. It's like we this is this is a theory, right? We this is a theory that we have talked about a ton. The come and develop Joe Burrow Mac Jones theory, but we have never seen it attempted to this degree by Ohio State. I mean, it's the th- I you know, it's my dream. It's my dream to recruit a backup quarterback. This is your favorite and, recruiting cycle. <laughs> and they're trying, but it hasn't worked yet. And I frankly am a little surprised that one of these guys like just like didn't jump on it in the first three days of like, oh yeah, what? Like, because I think the way we think about, you know, it all made sense to us. And then Nathan, you make a good point. Ohio State bubble. Oh, well, come be in this room. Why wouldn't anyone be in this room? It's the best room. Come be in the room. And so I, I, I'm not, we're not shocked. It's not that these guys are making the wrong decision, but I did think Stephen, it would maybe work quicker than it has. And like, is it possible that like, it doesn't work? That, I'm like, not could- that shocked that it hasn't worked yet. And it's not because, okay. Yeah. They're in the three hundreds and the mid two hundreds, but one's from Texas and one's from Tennessee. They're not, they're not from the Midwest, you know? So if they had been, from Indiana, then yeah, I would have been like, man, like I'm a little shocked you haven't jumped at this offer yet. I don't think it gets that much better for a kid from Indiana who plays quarterback. That's not the case here. And as we just got finished talking about, it's as a quarterback, you got to go somewhere where you got to get on the field as quickly as possible because you're trying to get to that money as, in, the, in the NFL as quickly as possible. If you're trying to have as many games under your belt when you go into the NFL draft as possible. And so this pitch almost, you need a guy who's going to see the bigger picture. And that bigger picture sounds good when you're sitting in a head coach's office and he's pitching it to you until you go to another school like Baylor, where Austin Norisad is currently committed, or Auburn, where all the momentum had Brock Glenn headed before the Ohio State offer. They could go in there and and be on the C.J. Stroud, Kyle McCord, you know, DJ Bryce Young plan, where it's like by year two you should be competing for a job. Well, but they wouldn't be on the CJ Stroud plan because do they think they're going to be Heisman finalists? I mean, like, I'm not, you just mean playing that, okay, time. Okay. Yeah. Playing time. What you do with the playing no, time but versus didn't, is not. But didn't we think, didn't we think that there was a pitch from Ohio State that we develop quarterbacks? Playing time is not the end all be all. Development time here is more valuable than playing time. Didn't we talk and think that that was a good pitch? That was a potentially yeah, workable pitch. I'm not saying I'm not saying it's a bad pitch. What I'm saying is it's an easier pitch to sell to somebody who's from your region than somebody who is from Texas, where it's then it's like you're not playing and you're far away from home. I think that's true. I do think quarterbacks are different. Quarterbacks are different. I mean, yeah. only one quarterback plays anyway. Most quarterbacks don't play right away. Um, you know, if you're an offensive lineman and you're not playing and you're far from home, it's like, man, I could go a lot of places and play. Quarterback is hard to get on the field. So I I remain I I thought it might be like boom, offer, flip, slam dunk, proof of concept, the come and develop here thing is is it no. really works. And it hasn't. It just it hasn't so far. With all with all that said, we might find out what one's gonna do sometime this week in Austin Novosad. So yeah. we, you might be listening to this pod on your morning run Wednesday morning, and you've already known what Austin Novosad is doing. So I don't want to, I want to build that caveat in. I'm so stuffed up. I haven't been able to run, you know, like you get the, get the, get the clogged. You can't work out when you're all stuffed up and you can't breathe. You know what I'm saying, Nathan? 
Um, I, 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 I apparently I'm stuffed up all the time. Cause I, yeah. never <laughs> was it just going to be like, I can't run. Just like put that part up. Steven, if you, if you're stuffed up, if you're stuffed up, you people can kind of hear it in my voice a little bit. I'm still stuffed up. Can you, can you get out on the court and run up and yeah. down if you're stuffed up? Yeah. Sometimes that'll like clear you up a little bit or oh. I'll like run the shower or I'll take a shower and then sit in that steam for a while. My water bill has to be atrocious or go sit in the sauna, just somewhere where you can like let fluids out. Yeah. Buckeye uh, if there's a sauna that would like to sponsor Buckeye talk and allow me to let my fluids out. <laughs> oh my God. In your sauna. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. From the two one six, tell me why Josh Proctor and Tanner McAllister should be sure fire starters. Proctor has done nothing that makes me think he should be guaranteed a spot. And Tanner knew the defense before anyone else, but by the time camp comes around, everyone should know it, and the best players should play from the two one six. Again, Nathan, these are some oldies but goodies here. I, I don't. It's not bad to continue to talk about things that matter to this team. We've had versions of this conversation, right? Tanner McAllister knows the defense. That's super valuable in the spring, but by the time you get to September, if there's somebody more talented, I don't know. I think a lot of Ohio State fans might push back a little bit against the phrasing around Proctor in that question. I think we thought Proctor looked like a pretty darn good player early last year. I mean, it was only like a game and a half and there, he had flashed previously to that at times. I do think he's moved around a little bit, but it, I think, I think there's reason to have some upside thoughts about Josh Proctor, but if the general consensus is it feels like maybe in the spring, the way Jim Knowles was talking, and then the way we were talking about the way Jim Knowles was talking, it was like, well, Tanner McAllister and Josh Proctor got to be on the field. And Ronnie Hickman, too. And the texter didn't say Ronnie Hickman, because I think we're probably all in agreement on Ronnie Hickman. Ronnie Hickman has done enough to say, well, we know why he's going to play. Do you understand questioning why are we sure that, that Proctor and McAllister are surefire starters? Do you understand why someone asked this? Sure. And I think even as we project them as starters or have projected them as starters, we've asked those questions. So we, like you say, we've had those conversations. I think in the McAllister case, it is simply having someone out there who can be an extension of Jim Knowles and how, how uh, crucial that could be to the defense. And in the case of Proctor, I think it is um, sort of that, that veteran presence and things that Jim Knowles himself has said. And I think those are important. And and some of that, though, is influenced by who's healthy when. There was a time when he really wasn't talking about Josh Proctor at all. And, and when we asked him about it later, it was a lot of like, well, like, I, I couldn't really say anything because I hadn't seen him on the field. He wasn't getting on the field, and it took a while. But then by the end of the spring, he was, whereas someone like Court Williams wasn't, someone he had been kind of complimentary of prior to that. So I, it, I'm not sure how much I'm basing – that roller coaster of analysis that we got from Jim Knowles in the spring, I think will clarify a lot in preseason camp, assuming everyone is healthy. That's more what I'm intrigued to see is like who is on the field, who's getting reps where, and how does that shake out over the course of preseason camp? So the way Jim Knowles talked about Tanner McAllister was the idea that he had, he thought he was going to go to the NFL. That was sort of think what Tanner McAllister and Jim Knowles both thought before Jim Knowles left Oklahoma state. And I think they think Tanner McAllister would have been drafted. There were a couple Oklahoma State defenders drafted off of that team. But let's say, I think it's maybe fair to say, maybe Tanner McAllister would have been a sixth-round pick last year. Is that – we can we, for discussion's sake? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair. I think Carter Rodriguez went in the 
Malcolm Rodriguez, excuse me, Malcolm Rodriguez went like in the fourth round, right? And he was the best player off that Oklahoma State defense. Okay. So I think it is an interesting line in the sand that can this, can you find a player who's better than a sixth round pick? Today. Because, like, like that you could put someone on the field who plays at a level when he's on the field against Notre Dame that is higher than someone who maybe would have is is the status of a sixth round pick right now, like not potential, not pedigree playing that way right now. And that's almost like an interesting exercise to go through an Ohio state roster. Like, are you, it's like, are you smarter than a third grader? Are you better than a sixth round pick? Cause on one hand, you're like sixth round pick. My God, this place pumps out first rounders like crazy, but also, you know what happens a lot. There's a lot of guys who play at Ohio state that don't get drafted sixth round pick. That's not nothing, man. That's pretty darn good. That is like an interesting level to think about. And Steven, like when we think about that idea, because I think, okay, if it's not Tanner McAllister, who? Well, I don't know. Maybe it's Court Williams. Maybe it's Cam Martinez. Could Cam Martinez play in September at a level higher than a sixth round pick? Maybe. I don't think that's impossible. He's been around a couple of years. He's locked in now to this right nickel corner spot. It's an interesting way to look at it because listen, if you put out a defense of 11 six round picks, that's not good enough. No, it's not. But but you're going to have JT Tumaloa and you're going to have you know Zach yeah, Harrison so, yeah. and 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 other guys, you know, Denzel Denzel Burke, right? You're going to have other guys playing at a higher level higher than that. So you need some guys like that. I think it's possible that there might be somebody who's ready to be better than that in September. And then if he is, we either, either Jim Knowles will acknowledge it and play him, or we won't know because Jim Knowles will play the guy that he's familiar with. But I think it's possible that someone could be more prepared. I feel like I've somehow had to stake a flag into this. Tanner McAllister might be pretty decent Island over here by myself. Cause I, I brought up the, the, other comparisons in the past. I mean, the Ohio State's name me the Ohio State plug and play guy they've had in the Ryan Day era who hasn't worked. Trey Sermon for the first two thirds of the year. And then he turned him into, oh, maybe this team might win a national championship. Uh, I'm just he saying that like, they didn't play last year. Yeah. So it doesn't, because that got, that got weird from off the field stuff before he even had a chance to show anything. I just haven't seen. Well, but but he also, that was a five-star guy that people were all jacked about and they had no linebackers last year and yeah, it got weird. But then also like he was playing one snap like in November. So I would say that is an example. People not were much higher on him. Not if were they, they weren't not giving, the preseason? Yes, but not until, and then we found out he wasn't getting any reps because they weren't sure if he was going to be eligible to play. Yeah, but then he was practicing in September and October, right? I mean, he got eligible I mean, early in the season and then did not contribute. I would, I would, Nathan, what do you think? On a Does team that, that was desperate for linebackers, I think it yeah. counts. On a team that like desperate for some linebacker impact, he couldn't provide any. For a guy who started at USC. Now, also, I do think Tanner McAllister, there's more assuredness with his yeah. position right like, now I, than I, there was with him. But okay, still. It's fine that you guys want to count, but there's an there's a reason for why that would. Okay, fine. But the linebacker sucked, but I'm going to put an asterisk on why that didn't work. Any other time they've needed a guy where it's plug and play, he's starting from day one, and they know he's starting, it's worked. But, so but who I'll is that? Some... That's Justin Fields and Jonah Jackson. Who else? It's not like that's 50 well, guys. Was Jonah, ja- was Jonah Jackson no, a we already, had, we already had the right. Jonah Jackson discussion. Jonah Jackson, Justin Fields, but like it's not like there's 10 on that side. 
And they don't go for 10. They usually have one or two. But you're, saying every time, you're saying every time they've done it, it's worked. Your examples so are Justin far. Fields and Jonah Jackson. It's two. Right. No ruggles. Yeah. But in Trey Sermon to the point. Yes. The point is when they have gone to go get somebody, even if it's a small percentage right now, it has not not worked yet. So I'm not just going to say that, oh, Tanner McAllister is going to come here and suck so badly that Cameron Martinez is going to 100 percent need to be on the field after the Notre Dame game. I understand what people are saying when they say, well, you got a guy like Tanner McAllister is going to be his fifth year in college or whatever. What is like his height? Like he hasn't really been even like an all con- lower level all conference guy really in the Big 12, which is not exactly a, a conference just exploding with impact defenders. Um, so I understand what people are saying, but the, the same question would apply if you tried to elevate, you know, what has Cam Martinez shown you that proves he should be a starter? Like we haven't seen that yet. I think if I'm an Ohio State defensive coach, it, the philosophy probably for the season opener, maybe especially considering the opponent is you're pushing everybody towards their ceiling. I'm probably picking that first lineup based on their floor. No, I think that's true early in the year. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I'm just saying that if we're looking at the examples, I would say Fields is a hit. Jonah Jackson's a hit. Noah Ruggles is a hit, but I don't know. It's special teams as kicker. It's not exactly the same thing. Pele is a miss and Trey Sermon is like a late hit that wasn't a hit for the first half. So if that's like, that's like two and a half out of four, like I'm not just, I'm not taking it as like every time they do it, it works. Cause to me, that's two and a half out of four. So that's better than 50, 50, but I'm not, I'm not automatically assuming that he's plug and play at a, at a high enough level that nobody else challenges him to get on the field this year. And also just analytically, like, Justin Fields, like a near perfect <laughs> recruit ranking coming out of high school worked. So the three-star safety will work. Jonah Jackson was not anywhere near that type of recruit. No, I know. Okay. Jonah like, Jackson. Okay, had already one. Justin, okay. Here's the point. J- Justin Fields is more of the outlier in this situation than anybody else is. Because typically guys don't mess up five-star quarterback situations that okay. badly that there's just one. So let's take out Justin Fields. So then you're just backing right. this on Jonah Jackson. So then your only example of it worked from the beginning is Jonah Jackson, which is fine. That's a good yeah. example. Okay. And he was a good do your job guy. Okay. Uh, veteran defender who might emerge from the four, two, three. Is there a veteran defender that you think could be a pleasant surprise as an impact player on defense this year? Personally, I'd love to see Teron Vincent build off a nice Rose bowl. Maybe, uh, a little push while to talk about Tyleek Williams and my call and with a healthy offseason that can't hurt him either. So that's a vote for Teron Vincent as veteran defender who could be a pleasant surprise. Nathan, is that who you would pick or would you pick someone else? I think, I think there's a lot of uh, veteran defenders that we're still would consider a pleasant surprise if they had great seasons, probably even including someone like Zach Harrison, right? Like there's, there's a version of his season that would be considered a pleasant surprise regardless of how much he's played and already accomplished at Ohio state. Um, I am going, I think that's a very good pick. I think somebody else I'm going to throw out because they, they still intrigue me is, and I guess he qualifies as a veteran just because of how much he played last year would be Cody Simon. I'm still, I'm intrigued by what he can be if he's healthy this year. If, cause again, going back to like the Jim Knowles conversation about like who is impressing you, he's a little bit behind because he didn't get to participate in the spring the way someone like Tommy Eichenberg did. But if the health equates coming into preseason camp, does Simon pull himself back up farther up on the on the depth chart? 
Steven, you got a nominee? You stole mine. I haven't had a chance to talk about Cody Simon this offseason. Uh, so since you already talked about him, I don't know. I think a pleasant surprise would be Cameron Brown gets through a season healthy. So now you've got four guys you can count on. Instead That's of, a really good pick. You know? Yeah, no, Cam Brown's my pick, too. The idea that I think there's some dispute. I think he's in a similar range to what Seven Banks was a year ago. I think mm-hmm. the high end on Cam Brown isn't as high as the Seven Banks talk was a year ago. But we certainly has like, well, it seems like he's good when he's out there, but how good? Like I, mm-hmm. the idea that if he just gets a healthy year and it's like, oh, no, no, Cam Brown, he's an all Big Ten corner. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, all Big Ten. He's he's healthy for three months. I think that's possible in a world where people are really excited about the two second year corners. All right. Another quick break. We'll come back. Somebody wants Jackson Smith and Jigba to play both ways. Do we like that? Next on Buckeye Talk. All right. This is one of these fanciful offseason questions, Nathan, from the 614. What are the odds of Jackson Smith and Jigba playing two ways this fall? I think he's athletic enough to challenge some of the top wide receivers in this conference. He's also very fast. What do you guys think? I do think that understanding of how things work in the slot is valuable. And so that's going to be a tough spot for a corner of those two-way routes. And just the like, you know, let's tell Jackson Smith and Jigba to do that in reverse. Um, all right. I'm all for it. No, Nathan, what do you think? I, I, I think child please is what that gets. Uh, if you think Ryan day is going to take his potential first round top of the first round receiving star and put him on defense and tell him to make tackles. Nah. Nah. Steven, you want to give any hope to this? Don't want to do that at all. He'll be out there for two units, offense and special teams. Yeah, and again, this is one of the things, again, do you do things from strength or weakness, right? I mean, Ohio State, when Ohio State's playing Chris Gamble two ways, like they needed Chris Gamble two ways because yeah. Ohio State didn't have the depth of talent that it has right now. And sometimes, you know, Charles Woodson, it's like, well, Charles Woodson was ridiculous. Woodson. And also, it's a little different when you have a guy who's a corner who wants to little get a little juice maybe on offense than like, hey, let's have Jackson Smith and Jigba um, go cover go cover a yeah. slot receiver because nobody else, nobody else on the team can do it. So, um, you know, it's fun to think about stuff like this. We do, you know, so we've certainly done drafts in the past of like, which guys would you like to see play two ways, but at a, at a big time program like this, where there is talent all over the place, man, it's like one of those things. If, you know, if Orlando Pace was telling you, Hey man, I want to get out there and rush the passer every now and then maybe you'd let Orlando Pace do that. If Chase Young had said, Hey, I want two tight end reps a, a game because I want to catch touchdown passes. Okay. But at Ohio state, it's going to be, and that's the, that's the case that the Texas making here. Jackson Smith and Jigba is so special. It's like, Hey, but if you need that, Nathan, Holy well, moly, this defense is in bigger trouble than we ever imagined. A, they, I mean, arguably did need someone to play some more cornerback last year and play it better. And they didn't try this last year. So I think it's even less likely this year when Jackson Smith, the Jigba moves up to the number unquestioned number one spot when there were two guys ahead of him last year, and he was more quote unquote expendable, which he obviously wasn't uh, also B. Yes. I, I think you're right, Doug. I think if Jackson Smith, the Jigba has to play cornerback in any meaningful way for Ohio state this year, Ohio state has almost zero chance of even making the Rose bowl, let alone uh, a playoff. 
I can't can, believe that this discussion has lasted this long. Can you imagine last season if it was like, hey, Garrett, congratulations on that eight catches for 117 yards. But why didn't you set the edge better when you were playing those 10 reps at corner? What's your problem? Ay, ay, ay. All right, we'll wrap up with this one. This is another bit of a recruiting question from the 419. It's our guy, JJ. How much of a risk is there that Dylan Royola could flip to USC between now and 2024, which is a long way away? I, it's interesting, especially because, you know, now USC is in the same conference as Ohio State. I think it was one of those things, because listen, we talked about when Quinn Ewers committed to Ohio State, we were like, hey, man, okay, but, uh, you know, he might flip to Texas, and he didn't flip to Texas. He transferred to Texas after his year at uh, Columbus High. So he basically, Quinn Ewers, basically flipped the Texas. It had to be on our radar, Stephen. The whole time Quinn Ewers was committed, it's like, yes, we get it. Okay, but, 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 is do we have to have a but? Is there a USC, well, you never know, that has to be attached to Dylan Royola just because Lincoln Riley is Lincoln Riley and this kid lives out west? Not the same because it's kind of apples to oranges for starters. Even them being in the Dylan Raiola race to begin with is kind of off the kilter a little bit for how Lincoln Riley approaches his quarterback room with the every other year thing. With Malachi Nelson being in 2023, you would have thought that 2025 would be the next time they go after a quarterback, but Dylan Raiola is pretty good, so I, okay, fine. Also, he lives out west. Yes, he lives in Arizona, but he's also lived in Texas. He's the son of an NFL player who spent most of his time in Detroit. He was born – and in, in Michigan, like this is it's just a different concept than like with Quinn Ewers. It was like this is a Texas kid, grew up in Texas, loves Texas, everything's Texas about him. He likes to hunt and all that stuff. But then also, I don't know if it's as much of a we need to watch this the way it was in the Urban Meyer era where Ohio State would get a quarterback and then it's like, all right, is he gonna make it to signing day because of the reputation that's been put into place now? And also, Dylan Rayola is going to be here a lot over the next couple of years here. So, uh, sure, you leave the door cracked open, maybe 5%, 10%, just because re- quarterbacks are different and recruiting can get weird sometimes. But I would be very shocked after talking with him, talking with his father, talking with some other people, if this doesn't make it all the way to signing day because they are legitimately building this class around him. Nathan, what do you think? Like, is there just – is this only in recruiting you have to leave a tiny smidgen – for a flip because until you sign your name, you can do whatever you want. Or is there anything else that would lead you to think about this? Well, yeah, I think you, to some extent, you do have to leave some smidgen open when you're talking about the cross country recruits, even the, the elite guys, but also there are just still some unknowns in this dynamic, which is how quickly does Lincoln Riley get OSU looking like something real, something like trending back towards what it was just, you know, a decade ago, 15 years ago, when it was the best program in college football, arguably. Um, Is that something attainable? How quickly could he push it there? Um, But in some ways, I almost think that the move of USC to the Big Ten makes it a little less likely, because the one thing if you're USC that you could use to recruit would be like, well, I mean, why would you go all the way to Ohio State? Like, you're never going to be back in California. Now, that's not going to be the case. Like, you're actually going to get some games back in California, I think, occasionally. Not not every year, but it's something that Ohio State can maybe gives them a little bit of a buffer in this. I don't know. But I, I, I think you do have to keep the door open just a little just because quarterback recruiting is that unpredictable. I do think 
Stephen, that guys flip all the time, but you have to be on alert for when stuff changes, right? So what could change? Well, Mm -hmm. it could be that the program you committed to all of a sudden doesn't look as attractive. What changed? They lost a bunch of games or the assistant that you committed to that you had a great relationship left, right? That the team that you committed to isn't what it was when you committed or, or Ryan Day leaves. Or, well, if Ryan Day leaves, we'll have more to talk about than just as Dylan Oil get a flip. Um, Or is the team that finished second has something changed with them, which was kind of the deal with viewers, right? That it's, you know, Texas was in flux, but it's like, hey, here, Sark, when Sark Sark gets hired, what's Sark's number one thing? It's like, bring back Texas and get Quinn Ewers in a Longhorns uniform, right? So that was the thing that was lingering there. Well, you know, if, like Lincoln Riley was already at USC by the time Dylan Royola committed. This was not a, this was not a, oh, well, they beat Clay Helton and now Lincoln Riley's there and you got to be on alert. He, he knew Lincoln Riley was there and he committed here. So like, is, is you, what's, what's changed with USC? Well, they joined the big 10. That by the time Dylan Royola is a college football player, every single game he would play at USC is in the big 10. Is that enough? Is that thing to change or could something else change? So I would think, no, USC joining the same conference as Ohio State is not enough of a change. And will there be a gigantic change at either USC that makes USC more alluring or something that happens at Ohio State that makes Ohio State less alluring? Will something like that happen in the next 18 months? And my guess on both of those, Stephen, would also be no. Because, like, what would that be? Ohio State loses five games or, like, Ryan Day leaves. So, like, that – and, again, if if either of those things happens, we'll have a list of things – that are at issue beyond just Dylan Royola flipping. So I just, this is not, and that's the thing when your quarterback coach is your head coach kind of helps. Cause yeah. it's like, if Corey Dennis left, not that Corey Dennis doesn't build good relationships with the recruits. If Corey Dennis left, I don't think Dylan Royola will be like, I'm out. Mm-hmm. That's it. That actually, that's my guy. I'm leaving. He's the offensive coordinator. At Montana State now, I'm following him to Montana State. I don't think that would happen. So I just don't think there are things in place on either side that would that would push you towards any belief in this beyond the 5%, hey, it's recruiting stuff happens. Corey Dennis is doing a very good job recruiting these quarterbacks. With that said, when Dylan Rayola was here for his workout, Ryan Day ran the drills. And also, I think the only scenario – that would make any sense just because we're seeing it kind of play out in Clemson right now is even, even though they're two years apart, Malachi Nelson isn't it. And you get that feeling and Dino Raiola looks at that situation and goes, I can beat Malachi out as a true freshman for that job in 2024. Mm, interesting. Yeah. That's a change. Yeah. Like, Hey, the five star who I thought I was just going to have to sit behind Yep. Uh, isn't working out so great. I think I can start from day one. Um, although, and again, you know, CJ Stroud's not going to be here. We don't know. We don't know how mm-hmm. the path Kyle is there Mc- for him. Yeah, it's the path Kyle is McCord, just as easy Devin, yeah. in, in 2024 for Dylan. If he wanted, even though I'll say would rather not start the true freshman quarterback, but yeah, it could happen. He's talented enough to do it. But I also think that the point is, I think you see kid from far away that was pursued by a school that's a little bit closer. The point mm-hmm. that, that you made early that his dad played at Nebraska, his dad played in the NFL in the Midwest. He lives there now, but he's not of there. He's not only of there. He has enough Midwest stuff in him and his family 
that they're not afraid of this. And listen, you got a little NFL money in the bank. You can hop on a flight to make mm-hmm. a million unofficial visits and your parents are going to be able to fly to all your games. And as Nathan said, it's like, well, all your road games for USC are going to be in the Midwest now anyway. So it's like, there's a lot of things that I, I, I don't, I don't think, I think the percentage chance of like Ohio state's not going to keep Quinn Ewers when he committed, I would have put that like 10 times stronger yeah, on the yeah. like, Holy moly. Right. Nathan, as opposed to where you would be with Dylan Royola now. Yeah, and it was actually even uh, to tease ahead to the podcast. I've been going back through all of last year's Market Down Mondays, which, by the way, my new season resolution is to simply write down what we said on Market Down Monday at the end of each episode <laughs> so I don't have to do this every summer. Um, but there was an episode where we were picking Ohio State's next um, Heisman Trophy finalist. And um, I, someone said something astute about even back then. So, uh, last may was it you someone someone said something astute i don't i don't i'm not gonna name names but someone said something astute um in in a, in a sideways way about how the quinn ewers thing was maybe eventually going to play out so we, yes we always had that inclination whereas here it's and here it seems much more normal like just yes anytime you're getting a quarterback recruit and it's from a place where lincoln riley's now in the backyard you got to keep open some the door, some crack. Whereas here, it always seemed like Ohio State was going to, up until the time Quinn Ewers actually really played football for Ohio State, there was always going to be a little bit of a fight to make that happen. I'm worried about the astuteness ratio on this looming podcast. The plan is to have this for Wednesday. The, yeah. re, the recap of Market Down Mondays from last year, we'll have it for the next pod, which will then set us up to start Market Down Mondays the next Monday. But Nathan, you are in charge of going through. So what we predicted is what we predicted. And I'm also a little worried about, frankly, my hit ratio in general on that. But the, uh, the tidbits that you choose to pull out for the astuteness ratio, you are in charge of that. So I am. Yeah. And now listen, I, the person who said that also said some really stupid things too. I'm, and I'm probably going to find more as I go through here. The, and, and uh, to be sure, I'm not re-listening to the entire podcast in these cases. I'm, I'm flipping head to try to find what we marked down. And then I'm listening to some of the discussions around those moments. So uh, I'm only like four podcasts into uh, many more. And I think it's going to be a fun podcast to look back and say, boy, do we look stupid. But at the same time, some unpredictable things happened last year. Do we sound, uh, do, is it, is it Mo, is, what's the breakdown going to be of how often we look stupid and how often we were pressured? Well, I think, I, boy, it's not a great ratio so far, but just because of the topics that I've looked at. But I also think we do a very good job of sounding like we're giving really strong, well-thought-out, well-reasoned, well-argued analysis by also being just stone-cold idiots. So that Buckeye is the best talk. Buckeye talk <laughs> ever. That is... That is the elevator pitch for Buckeye Talk. <laughs> Well-reasoned, sound analysis about idiotic opinions. Stone Cold Idiots like, in, in retrospect. Now that, that we have, yeah, now that we have the, the, the benefit of hindsight, you know, there are, spe- there are specific things, especially, for instance, like receiving production, where we said some things that look really silly in retrospect, but I don't think anybody thought that we were saying something ridiculous at the time. So we'll get into more of that on Wednesday's podcast. All right. That's the plan. We also have a Northwestern preview. That's where we are in the schedule. 
coming later this week. A couple of things planned. We appreciate you guys making Buckeye Talk part of your week. Try the texts, 614-350-3315. Always news and analysis coming through with that. And you can, of course, read us at cleveland.com slash OSU. For Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.